So this morning I'm going to be talking about prayer. And I've heard this many times over the years, and I'm sure you've heard it, you know, is, is prayer just to change us? Is prayer just for our benefit? Do our prayers impact God at all? Is it like a one and done thing? You pray and give it to him, or do you keep praying? Um, He's sovereign, we know that, but what does that mean? What's the point of praying? Would you pray if you knew God was going to just do what he wanted to do anyway because it had already been programmed before time, and so really, what's the point? And in Luke 11, the disciples ask Jesus, because they see him leaving to pray all the time, so they know that it's important, and they say, teach us how to pray, because this is clearly something important. And I think if Jesus, the Son of God, prayed all the time, that we should probably be praying all the time, like really taking it seriously. So in response to their question, Jesus gives, in Luke, it's a shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. Um, I think it's in Matthew where it's longer. Luke does a shorter version. And I'm just going to touch on it at the beginning here, and I'm going to break it down. He says this. This is how you pray. Father, you are holy. Remember who he is, right? Let your kingdom come here. Give me what I need for today. Forgive me of my sins. I'm going to forgive those that have hurt me. And lead me away from temptation. And I think that that's a great template for prayer, just those things. But I think we can be, get stuck kind of like a broken record. Who is old enough to know what a broken record is? I mean, really? Okay, for anybody young, it was a vinyl record that went around. And the needle would be on it, and if there was a scratch, it would skip and play the same thing over and over. And I think we can get stuck saying, give me what I need, give me what I need, give me what I need, give me what I need. And we don't get to forgive me for the gossip today. Forgive me for how I yelled at my husband. Forgive me for how I disrespected my boss. Forgive me for the thoughts that I had about my neighbor. Forgive me, right? And then we don't get to forgive my coworker for how she treated me today. Forgive my boss for how he looked at me today. You know, I forgive him. I forgive her. I forgive my husband for how he talked to me this morning. We don't get to those really crucial parts. And then God, lead me away from temptation. When I'm tempted for that addiction, when I'm tempted to gossip, when I'm tempted, lead me away from those situations. If we like actually prayed beyond, give me what I need, give me what I need, our days would be completely different. There would be a clarity, a spiritual clarity there. Um, So I think that's a great template, but we've got to do the whole thing. I think we take for granted, I, I think that we can often forget the forgive me part, daily, and then I forgive that person daily, right? So Jesus then tells what's called a similitude, which is really just a more concise form of a parable. And what it does is it narrates a typical event from real life, like one that everybody would go, oh yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. And it's persuasive because it recounts a situation that everybody would agree on. That's how it works. That's how it goes. That's true. So I'm going to read Luke 11, starting in verse 5. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, at midnight, 
Lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the Greek wording here, you know, suppose one of you has a friend. It's, it's saying, which of you has this friend? Like this, it's, incre- it's, it's like this incredulous, which of you has this friend? Can you imagine this happening to you? And all the disciples with this story would be like, no, that would never happen. That would never happen. And he knew that that would be their answer. I can't imagine a friend that wouldn't help me. When this was written, hospitality wasn't something you just did when it was convenient. It was a a moral obligation. If a traveler came to your, graced your home in the middle of the night and needed a place to stay, it was your responsibility to make sure that they were taken care of. Um, And you wanted to serve them a fresh, unbroken loaf of bread. If a person didn't entertain that guest, it could bring disgrace on the whole village. Um, And the conventions of hospitality involved not only the host where the guest came, but it really involved the entire village. The need of the host became the need of the village because they were small and the houses were close together and everybody knew everything that was going on. And it was really the village's responsibility to take care of this guest. So solely on the basis of friendship, The disciples assumed that this friend would help, would get up and give him what he needed. The reality is he was in a one-room home, so like his cooking area was there, his storage area was there, and they were on mats on the floor. So it's not like he was in a back room. He really just had to get up, shuffle over here, get bread, shuffle to the door, give him bread. It was all right there. But it was just too inconvenient because they were laying on their mats on the floor. So this hypothetical reply that presumes he has bread and he could have given it was absurd to them. That just wouldn't ever happen. And Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because, of, because he's his friend, because of his persistence, he's going to give him anything he needs. So this word for persistence is anadea, and it's persistence, boldness, shamelessness, brazenness. It's said of an importunate man, which an importunate is persistent to the point of irritation or annoyance, right? Because of this friend's persistence, he's going to give him what he needs. So even if he didn't help as a friend, his neighbor wasn't going to go anywhere 
right? So he knew the code of hospitality. He didn't want to shame the village, so he got up and met the need. Many scholars are firm in their view that what Luke is primarily concerned with here is persistence of the believer's prayer, persistence in our prayer life with God. And the primary dynamic Jesus is focusing on here is friendship. He says it, I think, four times in this section to set up the relationship. Like, that's what's going to set up their expectations. If they're going to get an answer, what's going to set up their expectation for an answer is, answer is this relationship of friendship. They knew that no friend would behave like that. No friend would do that. Our friends, despite any inconvenience, really do come through for us. I mean, when we need them, whether they really want to or they, you know, they, they're our friend, and so they're going to do it. Um, I have my best friend Jennifer. She's come over in the middle of the night to watch the kids while we take someone to the hospital or something like that. Her husband, a friend of mine, uh, last year my dog ate a diaper. After we brought Destiny home, it just wasn't thinking, and he ate a, a diaper. And the vet's like, that's not a problem. It's not going to poison him or anything. I said, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about him ingesting pieces of the diaper. Oh, no, don't worry about it. But my dog was not normal. So I'm like, okay, it's 11.45. Of course this happens when my husband's out of town because that's when everything happens. So he's out of town. It's 11.45 at night, and I have to make my dog throw up with peroxide, right? That's how you do it. So Jennifer's husband, Gary, a friend of mine, comes over at 11.45, to take my dog in the backyard, give him the peroxide, wait while he vomits, so I don't have to. So because I was all stressed out and the kids and all the, and the baby, just in case she woke up and because she was so little. So he did that for me. And Tug actually ended up throwing up like that long, stretchy part that goes around their legs. So it would have killed him. So, I mean, so I'm so thankful you have that mama's intuition, even fur baby mama intuition, that we did the right thing. But I'm sure he wasn't like, yes, I can't wait to go make your dog vomit. (laughs) That sounds like a party, you know, 11.45, let me get dressed. No, but he did it because he's my friend. And he did it because he knew this is the right thing to do, because Kim needs help. If a friend called you at midnight in need, you would help them. Um... How much more can we count on, like, the friend, right? The friend. We can count on him. Verse 9, I say, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. The tenses of the verbs are important here. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard this. Um, But it's not saying ask. The verb tense is keep asking. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. So it's a couple of things. Be persistent. Remember Paul said pray without ceasing. Like keep praying. And he says, everyone who asks, receives. How about taking that to the Lord in prayer? God, your word says, everyone who asks, receives. And I am asking. I'm asking. Your appeal to God will work again and again as you keep asking and receive. Keep asking and receive. God will always answer. And it may not be the answer you want or... 
he may say no, and sometimes you're not going to really understand why, and then 10 years later, you're like, oh, I get why you said no. I get that now. Thank you, God, for saying no to that thing I thought I wanted, you know? Sometimes hindsight helps us get a little better picture. Verse 10 is seen as a promise because he says, you should ask for everyone who asks receives something. He's not just going to be silent. But this isn't a blanket promise. This isn't like a carte blanche, like God isn't a pushover dad that I'm going to ask you for a pony and you're going to make that happen, Lord, because your word says I'm going to ask and I'm asking in faith, so bring me this thing. Um, He doesn't just give us what we demand. My daughter Destiny, who's 16 months, wants to play with the knives out of the dishwasher. Like, that's what she wants to do. In fact, one day when the dishwasher was open, my nine-year-old screamed because Destiny was about to put a sharp knife in her mouth. She she actually brought up yesterday she'd like to get paid for that. (laughs) This is my daughter, Faith. Mom, are you going to pay me a reward for that? And I'm like, actually, it's your job as her big sister to look out for her. And so then she came in crying an hour later. I feel like I'm using destiny because you get money. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Faith, you were just, cap- let's talk about capitalizing on something that happened to get some money. You're not using her. She's so like, she's very deep. So anyway, I don't let destiny play with knives. You want the knife? No, that's just my answer because it's not safe for her, obviously, right? So there's a couple addendums to this promise. Praying, your will be done. And sometimes that's really hard. But really, do you ultimately trust God with your life? Do you ultimately trust God with your needs? Do you trust him with your future? Do you trust him with your children? Do you trust him? That's what it comes down to. We can ask askew sometimes. So God... Your will be done, but this is really what, this is what I want to see happen. And it's okay to do that. James 4, starting in verse 2, says, You do not have because you do not ask God. You don't have because you aren't asking him. How about that? And when you ask, you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motives. That you can spend it on your own pleasures. Point being, ask, number one, check your motives and say, Lord, if I'm off on this, I want your will more than anything. Please know that, Lord, but this is really what I want. Secondly, we have to be asking in faith. James 1 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's really intense. Like, this doubt. Well, I don't want anyone to get caught up in the trap that we have to muster up some monumental amount of faith to see God move. Because I think we get stuck that when we pray and something doesn't happen, we're like, we didn't have enough faith. I just couldn't get enough faith. But he says it just has to be a mustard seed. And I feel like I had at least like a pomegranate seed. And I still, uh, he's he's still not moving. And I I, do not have enough faith. I'm, I'm really trying to get enough faith. God, we don't understand. 
I have, I'm trying to have faith here. It's not talking about faith in your own faith. I think we put our faith in our ability to have faith. Does that make sense? Like we put our faith in our own faith. And I didn't have enough faith, so that didn't happen. This is about putting faith in God's character. Putting faith in God's goodness. We can all have faith in that. God, you are good. It's, I read it in your word. You are good. I've seen it in my life. I know your character. Put your faith, have faith in him, not in your own ability to get enough measure of faith. Put your faith in him. Jesus is building expectancy and hope for his disciples and for us, for when they and we approach God in prayer. That's what this story is. We're free to ask. We're free to search. We're free to knock. We can go to him shamelessly, boldly, with the expectation of a good friend, confident that he's going to help us because he's a good friend, right? And if you don't see your answer, you keep praying. There's something about sticking to it. There's something about persisting, and not because he's ignoring us like the friend on the mat, not because he's not listening to us, our persistence isn't, isn't about breaking God down, but it's fueled by our confidence in who he is. It's fueled by our relationship with him and his willingness to answer. So I'm going to keep praying because I'm confident you are hearing me. I'm confident you are on my side. I'm confident you want to work for me. So I'm going to keep asking this, God, because you're a friend and I'm confident you are there and willing to help me. It also builds our muscle of faith when we're fighting for it, this tenacity, I'm not going to let go. Bless me, Lord, I'm not going to let go. Sometimes it's in the fight that our faith is built. Sometimes it's in the fight that our faith is built because we see God's hand in it. The fight that says, this may seem impossible, this is bleak, and I see no way but God can do the impossible. God can make a way. God can heal. God can provide. God can move things. God can change hearts. God can fill in the blank. And Satan hates that. Satan hates that when we have that confidence in God. This seems impossible, but God can. Um, This is going to be a weird illustration, but it really makes the point I'm trying to make. Several weeks ago, I had to call 911 because I heard screaming, and it was very scary. I was with Destiny for a walk, and it turns out it was a dog attack uh, a couple streets over from us. Um, And I found that it was actually a friend of mine in the neighborhood. Um, And a pit bull had gotten out of his yard and just, she has two little tiny white dogs and just attacked one of her little white dogs um, named Colby. And... um, he had just, he, he killed Colby, and then he turned on my friend, and she had just gotten mace out of her pocket and maced him, and he backed away. Um, so as I've been preparing this message and also walking this out with Myrna, uh, my friend, um, my thought was, which is my faith and which is my doubt? The pit bull is strong and ruthless. He locks on and he doesn't let go. 
The white dog is docile, meek, and easy prey. This morning, where's your faith at? Is your doubt, has it attacked your faith, and it is stronger and ruthless, and it is not letting it go? Your faith is barely holding on to life, because your doubt and your fear is this pit bull that's just come after you. I want to picture my faith like this pit bull. Like I want it to be mean and gnarly and just go after my fears without anything stopping it. I want my faith to get, I want my fears to be small. I want my fears to be, I don't want them to be the things running my life. So I know that's a weird illustration, and it's weird to kind of carry that over, but honestly, when I think of my faith, that's what I want. I want my fear to cower in the face of my faith, and my doubts to cower in the face of my faith. I want my faith to be strong and hold on and not let go and fight. That's how I want to see my faith. Let that be the picture of your faith. You've heard it before, like you, the, you feed the dog that you want to have win the fight, right? So do you feed your faith or do you feed your fear? And that's kind of the stuff we talked about last month. You're feeding your faith in the word, worship, all that, and then you're feeding your fear, you know, reading 1,400 stories on what just happened. Instead of reading one and praying, we drill down and read everything, feeding the fear, feeding the fear, feeding the fear. Verse 11, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He's not going to give him a snake. Or if he asks for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? Again, this is like, of course not. It's the same type of thing. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? And in Matthew, he just says, how much more is your heavenly father going to give you good things? He's going to give you good things. That's what Jesus is saying. And Luke's like, oh, well, what's better than the Holy Spirit, than connection, right, with the Father himself? So Jesus is continuing with this focus on relationship to build expectancy and confidence when we pray. But now he's like, more than just a friend that's going to help you, he's a father that has, is going to give you good things. The beginning and the end of this section referred to God as Father. In chapter 10, he refers to God as Father five times. God's not just a neighbor, he's a father. And in Luke, throughout Luke, God is presented as the father who cares for his children and and just acts redemptively on their behalf. This is really important that Luke presents him this way because in the Greco-Roman times, there was this sort of authoritative relationship that the father had. And he had almost complete control over his children's lives, even into adulthood, and sometimes his children's children's lives. You can't get married. We're going to sell this one. We're going to whip this one. He just had this control, almost unlimited power over them, as long as he lived. So Jesus can't say, oh, he's a father. He's like one of your dads. They'd be like, awesome, you know, great. He expands it. Oh, no, no. This is the father that if you ask him for an egg, he's not going to give you a scorpion. He's, He's going to give you good things. If you ask him for a fish, you're going to get a fish. You're not going to get something bad for you, okay? This is who you're praying to. Luke is not as concerned with the how-to of prayer as he is the to-who of prayer. 
Now, all you English ladies, you can go ahead and write to whom <laughs> if that's bugging you, okay? I just like the how to and to who, but whom I think is appropriate. Um, so he may have truncated, this is how you pray, but he's expanded on this is who you're praying to. God is the Father who lovingly provides what's needed beyond what's expected. You're free to ask, you're free to search, you're free to knock, knowing that he's going to answer you, not with harmful things, but with good things. And then he said, if you being evil, well, he's not like, he's not criticizing the dads there. It's just the contrast is so huge between a heavenly God and an earthly God. Are there any This Is Us fans in here? Anyone? Okay. Are you done crying yet? Anyone? Okay, so Jack. He's amazing, right? Jack is, I think I have a picture of him. Jack is, for those of you that don't watch it, he's an amazing dad. But there are writers that have been paid a lot of money to script the perfect dad, the best possible dad. How he handles situations, how he handles when things are hard, how he fights back and gets better, how he deals when his kids are arguing, how he deals with his daughter. It's like the best possible dad. People got paid a lot of money to write about the best possible dad. He always gets it right. But compared to God's love and ability to parent us, even Jack Pearson would be considered evil. <laughs> right? Like, people are always like, oh, dad goals or couple goals. It's like they were scripted. They were scripted in Hollywood, right? But even he would be, you who are evil give good gifts. Imagine me. Imagine our Heavenly Father, how much more he loves us and how he parents us with such care. Our Heavenly Father is far superior perfect in his love and his ability to care for you, to take care of you and make decisions regarding your life. We might go after something that hurts us and the enemy can come after us with stuff. We can be assured that our dad in heaven has our best interest at heart. And when I was going over this, I know the Holy Spirit said, somebody here this morning needs to hear that because you're like, God, it does not have my best interest. I don't feel him dealing with me at all in this area. And I'm telling you this morning, he has your best interest at heart. He truly does. He truly does. Okay? So we know that we're to ask for things we need. We're to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But does any of it really affect God? Like, does it really impact him? Has he set a plan in motion and now it just plays out as he watches it happen? Um, I think a common belief is that prayer is just for our benefit. It's just for us. It, it blesses us. It reminds us of his promises and his faithfulness or makes us feel better. That's really prayers for, uh, for us, which don't get me wrong. Prayer does those things. It makes us feel better. It reminds us of his promises, reminds us of his goodness, you know, reminds us of what his word says. When you have a need, find where it's addressed in the word and say, God, your word says... This about healing, your word says this, it says you're my provider, your word says this, pray his word back to him, okay? Remind him what his word says, and remind yourself what his word says. Yes, prayer does those things. 
But there's plenty of evidence in scripture that says our prayers actually make a difference, like a big difference. Um, James 5 says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Produces results. And when I looked at the Greek here, it basically says this, the work of prayer wields power. The work of prayer wields power. And sometimes prayer is work. It's more than just a whispered thought as you're picking up your latte in Starbucks. It's on your knees praying. It's more than just falling asleep and Lord bless this. Oh Lord, give us a good night's sleep. It's work. I think we've lost, a lot of us have lost our, I don't know. I don't know how, I I talk to God all day long. But I don't know how often I work in prayer where I am focused and intentional and earnest and working in prayer towards something that I need or towards something that someone else needs, right? On your knees, focused. It's like, who's got time for that? We have to have time for that because it wields power. The work of prayer wields power. So, so if prayer is not work, ever, then we need to look at that and think maybe we need to add some like intentional prayer into our lives. So I'll tell you that the debate on this issue gets really heated whether or not prayer makes a difference. Interestingly, there's proof texts. They're called proof texts, meaning they use them to prove their sides on both sides um, of this. And in reading the forums on it, I was really shocked by how some Christians handle themselves with disagreements. Um, But after researching on it and meditating on it, uh, I'm going to tell you my thoughts on it. There are many times in the Old Testament where God changes his course of action because of the repentance and prayers of his people. There is a direct correlation of God changing his course of action. People will cite Malachi 3.6. Well, God says, I, Yahweh, do not change. So clearly he can't change his mind. Well, This text isn't talking about him changing his decision or changing his course of action. He's talking about his character. He's saying, my character doesn't change. Who I am does not change. As a parent, my character stays the same, but my course of action for my children may change based on their behavior. Right? And sometimes that change actually confirms and is in line with my character. I don't know if that makes sense. Like my change in behavior actually is right in line with my character. Um, Many of you know I homeschool and I have a little treat system set up. So if they like get through the first half of school and they are just focused and they're not arguing and they're doing good, I have like dum-dum things and it says don't be a dum-dum, eat a dum-dum or if you aren't double trouble, you get a double bubble and they get a double bubble gum or whatever. And I'm like, you guys were way double trouble. So you do not get any treat, Um, but they'll get a treat. So I might tell them, you know what? You guys didn't listen in history. You kept getting up in my chair and spinning around. You kept trying to illustrate science on the thing. And you were adding rockets and Minecraft to your history on Paul Revere, which I've already told you, you can't add Minecraft to your history papers. You know, like, no, you don't get a treat, right? But then they turn things around. 
and Faith goes three days ahead in spelling, and I go to warm up my coffee for the tenth time, and Noah has read Botany to Faith, and they're going over the questions, and they're like, they rallied, and they did it, and I'm really impressed, and they might say, sorry, we were such a mess, Mom, I know you've told me not to do that. Well, then, it is totally like me to be like, you know what, you guys, you can have a piece of gum, or whatever. You can have a double bubble. That's totally like me. That's totally in my character in response to how they, their behavior shift to maybe change my mind on something. And if you think about it, when you say that about a friend, oh, that is so like her, you're kind of talking about their character. That is so Heather Muncy to make sure you have a meal when you're sick. That's so Heather Muncy to come visit, to go visit someone in a hospital or make sure everyone's connected. My kids would say, that's so my mom to do this or that. You're talking about their character. Well, isn't it so God to show mercy and to change his course on something in response to earnest prayer or repentance? That's so God because he's so gracious. That's his character. Now, I do know that God sometimes chooses not to change his mind. So this isn't a guarantee that he's always going to change his mind on something. Um, in 1 Samuel 15, Saul, Saul had sinned and transgressed the Lord, and Yahweh was taking the, his kingdom away from him. You're not going to be king anymore. And Saul asks, you know, pardon my sin. He says, Samuel, pardon my sin, and then I can worship the Lord. And Samuel said, no, the Lord's rejected you from being king over Israel. God actually says, I regret that I have made him king. And Saul grabs Samuel's robe as he's walking away and tears it. And Samuel turns and says, Yahweh has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor that's better than you. And he says, God is not going to change his mind on this. And people will take verse 29. God will not change his mind. Oh, God never changes his mind. Well, God had already made a change because of Saul's sin. You're king? No, now you're not king. I wish I hadn't made you king. So he can choose not to change his mind. There are times when he will pronounce judgment and say, you know what, I'm not sorry about it. I'm not going to change my mind on this. But like any parent, it's his prerogative to change his course of action. There are other areas where he does change his mind. Do you remember when we learned about Jonah and the Ninevites and how evil the Ninevites were and their king was so evil he would have stuff in his castle of like, wall murals or carvings of people being killed for his battles, you know. It was really gory and gross, and the Ninevites were awful, and God sends Jonah to these lawless Ninevites to pronounce his judgment. You're going to be overthrown in 40 days. You just, you just need to tell them they're, they got 40 days because um, they're going to be overthrown. And when Jonah proclaimed their fate, the Ninevites fasted and repented for all of their evil deeds. And it says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites repeatedly turned away from God, angered him to the point that he threatened to destroy them, but Moses would intervene on their behalf, plead with the Lord, don't destroy them, don't do that. And time and time again, God answered his prayers with mercy. In Exodus, he says, change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. This is Exodus 32. In his unfailing mercy, the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. 
even in Psalm, even in the Psalm, Psalm 106. So he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. This man prayed. With both the Israelites and the Ninevites, God chose to spare them in response to human prayers and repentance. Like the speck of a person on the speck of a planet in the universe asked God not to do something, and he heard them, and he didn't do it. This decision on God's part to act a certain way because people cried out to him is a recurrent theme in the Bible. In 2 Kings 20, Hezekiah was very sick, and Isaiah tells him, the prophet, he says, Thus says the Lord, well, you know that's a big deal. Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. That's like a final answer, right? Thus says the Lord, you're going to die. That's kind of it. That's clearly what God wants to have happen if it's coming with as thus says the Lord. Then he turned his face, Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall, prayed to Yahweh saying, remember now Yahweh, I pray how I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. I've done what was good in your sight. And it says he wept bitterly. And before Isaiah could even make it out to the middle of the courtyard, God had him turn around. Return and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord. I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add to your days 15 years. So in a matter of minutes it went from get your house in order, you will die, to you're going to have 15 years added to your life. In both the Old and New Testaments, God responded to the prayers and needs of his people. He provided military victories against impossible odds, sent rain and droughts, freed slaves from prison, healed the sick, delivered people from demonic depression. uh, Demonic depression. (laughs) Let's talk about that. I was supposed to say demonic possession, but (laughs) how many people have needed or need to be delivered from demonic depression? Can I get an amen? I mean, for real. That's the devil right there. (laughs) Straight up. We better pray for that at the end. Um, You know, people would ask Jesus, that's praying, and he would heal them. That's his answer. Some people believe that saying anything, that saying God adjusts his plans, threatens his sovereignty and makes him too human. One of the commenters said, saying that God changes his mind tends to imply that he doesn't know enough to get it right the first time. It's a bit like saying he could have made a mistake, which happens with us after we get more information on a matter. Oh, I didn't have all the information. I made a mistake because I didn't have all the information. But it's not about getting more information. It's about him choosing in direct response to our prayers to change something. He's not responding to information. He's responding to intercession. Very different. He has all the information, but he's responding to our intercession. He's responding to our prayers. He can be sovereign, all-knowing, limitless in his rule, and everything that happens in the world, and still respond to intercession, still respond to the earnest prayers of his people. Prayers wield power. That being said, there will be times when God answers our prayers with a no, for reasons beyond our understanding, 
and it hurts and it leaves us confused and broken. Um, but he is good and he is trustworthy. Author Gregory Boyd said, far more important than knowing the mechanics of answered prayer is knowing that God's on your side even when the prayer is unanswered. When we pray and we don't get the answer we hoped for, does that mean we were wrong to ask? Does it mean that we didn't really ask in genuine faith? Does it mean there's something wrong in our relationship with the Lord? Well, no, not necessarily at all. Jesus himself prayed three times, take this cup from me, take this cup from me, take this cup of suffering from me. And in this case, God's will on earth could not be fulfilled in any other way. And so the answer was no. Jesus, I cannot take this cup of suffering from you. In conclusion, we serve a God who cares deeply for his creation and longs desperately to be in relationship with each of us. A loving relationship. And prayer is really essential to that relationship. That's how he connects with us. That's how we connect with him. I think it is theologically sound to believe that God does react to us, our circumstances, our requests, and our prayers. Now the devil will tell you that your prayers don't matter. I mean, I've prayed for my sick kid that they would be healed in the night and they're still sick the next day. And I've been tempted to say and probably have said, are you hearing me at all? Does this even matter that I'm asking you that he will not be sick? Because I've been praying it for three nights now and he's still sick. So, and that's usually when I give up. According to this, I'm not supposed to give up on that, right? Unless the Lord releases me from that. The devil will play the sovereignty card and say, God's going to do whatever he wants to do, so it doesn't matter if you pray. And then he'll switch to God's changelessness, and he'll say, you can't change God's mind because God can't change. So your prayers are useless. You're just running into a brick wall, and you're never going to get past it. So you might as well stop praying altogether, right? Satan doesn't want you to pray because prayer is so powerful. Because it wields power. Do you remember? The work of prayer wields power. If I can leave you with anything this morning, it is the work of prayer wields power. Satan wants to keep you from praying. He doesn't want you to have intimacy with God. He doesn't want you to see breakthrough. He doesn't want you to watch God move on your behalf. He wants you to live your life on your own, thinking you're on your own, not looking to God for your needs, not believing he will provide for you. And if that's you this morning, then Satan's done his job. If you're feeling like God isn't hearing me and I'm on my own, then Satan has victory right now in your life. The devil will tell you prayers don't matter. Jesus tells you, keep praying and have faith. I'm going to just pray, and then we'll go into our discussion questions. Um, if I was to give you guys a next step this, this morning, it would be, it's in one of the discussion questions, take the situation that you're dealing with in your life, find it in Scripture, and pray those Scriptures back to the Lord. You know, my child can say, can I have a piece of candy? And they can say, yesterday you promised me I could have a piece of candy. Well, I don't even have to think when they say that. Oh, if I promised you, yes. Well, we say, God, your word says, by your stripes I am healed. Your word says, I can cast my anxiety on you. Your word says, my mind will be held in perfect peace. That's what your next step is. 
the thing that's on you, that's burdening you, find it in your concordance, look it up on Google, that's question three today, and then do it over these next few weeks and be praying out those scriptures, reminding him. So who here recently, in the last few couple of months, few months, you feel like you've poured out your heart to God in prayer, but either you haven't seen any change or received an outcome opposite of what you hoped for? Who is that? If that's you, this is going to be weird. I want you to stand up, okay? I'm sorry. This is the Lord, okay? And I feel like the Lord wants to tell you this morning, I have heard your prayer, and I have seen your tears, okay? I have heard your prayer, and I have seen your tears, all right? And if you have someone standing up by you, ladies, I want you to put your hands on these women because they've been, they've been fighting a work of prayer, okay? And they're discouraged, and they're scared, and they're frustrated, and they're feeling a little bit abandoned sometimes, and they need their sisters around them, and I'm going to pray. God, your word says that everyone who asks receives. And I just want to pray for these women right now. I know that you have heard their prayers. I know that you have seen their tears. And we just read this morning how you're such a loving father and you have good things for them. Well, some of them are just, uh, just Satan's winning. He's just convincing them that it's, you're just not hearing or you're not going to answer or this is, you're not going to give them what they want. And God, I just pray for your peace right now to be on all of these women. Let your peace flood into their hearts. The assurance that you're with them, that you hear them, that you love them, that you have not left them, that you see them and hear them. I pray this morning, God, for breakthrough for these women where they have just been hitting the brick wall and like, God, where are you? Where did you go? I pray that Jesus, just like you showed up in the middle of the locked upper room without even coming through a door, you just appeared. Jesus, appear in these circumstances. Show yourself and show yourself strong. We join with the prayers of these women and we pray, God, for your power and your might and your comfort and your healing and your justice and your favor. Pray for wisdom. We pray for joy and life, life, life. God, love your girls. These are your girls, and I pray they'd feel your love for them right now, and they would know that none of their prayers have gone in vain, and that you're saying, keep praying, keep asking. I'm here. Be confident. I'm good. I'm faithful, and I'm trustworthy. And we know you have your, their best interests at, at heart, Lord. So we just pray, but we do ask for breakthrough. We ask for answers alongside of them this morning. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for reminding us to pray. Thank you for reminding us that you're our Father and our friend, and we can come to you boldly with expectancy. You are good, 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 good Father. Amen. <laughs>